Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. an intimate marriage, a great marriage, a winning marriage. Now, it is not natural. It is not spontaneous. It is not easy. There's a price to be paid. It involves some pain, some hard work. It will take Christ, commitment, communication, continual work. But the dividends are well worth it because there's not anything in life any better any more fulfilling, any more meaningful than to have a winning marriage. Adam was lonely, and he described his loneliness to God and said, I need someone who will listen to my stories and, and uh, who will fix my food and who will meet this need and that need in my life. And God said, well, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. He said, uh, what can I get for a rib? And so, woman, well, I saw a bumper sticker that said, if at first you don't succeed, do it the way your wife told you to do it. <laughs> a lady said to her husband, I didn't marry you for your looks. I married you for your brain. It's the little things that count. One couple just moved into their new house, and the wife said, I bought this house with my money. If it were not for my money, we wouldn't have this beautiful house. The next day, the furniture came, and as they were unloading and moving in the furniture, the wife said, I bought this furniture with my own money. If it were not for my money, we wouldn't have this new furniture. The next day, the TV and stereo came. And she said to her husband, I want you to know I bought this with my own money. If it were not for my money, we wouldn't have this stereo and television. The man who'd been quiet up to now said, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> so regardless of the reasons you marry, you need to work at this thing called marriage. I read a story about a lady who was lonely and she went down to the pet shop to buy some companionship. And the store owner finally convinced her that what she really needed was to buy a parrot because the parrot would talk to her and, if she, and would provide, would become a dear friend. And so it would be expensive, but it was worth it. So she bought a parrot in a big cage and took it home came back a week later and said, this parrot won't say a word. And the pet store owner said, well, you need to put a mirror in the cage. Once the parrot sees himself, he'll relax and he'll start to talk. So she got the mirror and brought it home, put it in the cage. A few days later, she goes back and says, this parrot hasn't said a word. He said, well, you've got to get a ladder. If you put a ladder in there, the parrot will climb up and down that ladder a few times and relax and start talking. Well, she got the ladder, put it in the cage, came back a few days later. The parrot hadn't said a word, not a peep. 
So he said, well, you've got to put a swing in there. Once the parrot starts swinging and relaxes, the words will start to flow. So she got a swing, put it in the parrot's cage. Three days later, she comes back mad as fire. And she says, my parrot died. The man said, well, I don't understand that. said, uh, well, did, let me ask you this. Did he ever talk? She said, yeah, just before he died, he said a few words, his last breath. He said, well, what, what did he say? He said, don't they ever sell any food down at that store? <laughs> well, as we've talked about marriage, I hope that you've not gotten caught up in the, the mirrors and the swings and the recipes and the formulas that, you, that, that you're not understanding that there must be a solid foundation on which to build an intimate and a winning marriage. And that basis is the Word of God and the truth of God that absolutely never changes. I want you to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this passage applies to life and it applies to marriage. It's from the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We read from verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The importance of the right foundation. And in marriage, the right foundation is the key to building a winning marriage, an intimate marriage. Remember the biblical basis given to us in Genesis and then quoted again in the Gospels four times in the Bible when it talks about leaving and cleaving and becoming one flesh, that we're to leave all other relationships and emphasize this primary relationship that we are to cleave to each other, that to stick like glue, that it's to be a permanent relationship, and that in that primary permanent relationship, we are to become intimate, transparency, naked without shame. We're to become one flesh. And I want to say to you what a secular psychologist can never say, what a counselor can never say with authority. And that is that if you build a marriage on God's foundation, biblical principles, and you do it God's way, in the attitude God says to do it in, the results will be success and happiness. God's Word will not return void. Proverbs says it this way in the third chapter, verse 6, in everything you do, put God first, and He will crown your efforts with success. So the best advice you can ever get regarding marriage is simply to do it God's way to build that marriage on godly principles, to put God absolutely first. And that's the key to the whole thing. In these past weeks, we've been talking about intimacy. We've talked about the ways that you can 
ruin intimacy, the attitudes and the actions that ruin or rupture intimacy. We've talked about an intimate husband, an intimate wife, how to restore intimacy. And today we conclude about talking about the intimate family, the intimate marriage. Now, all of us make emotional mistakes. Every marriage has difficulties. We all have problems. And I don't have all the answers. And every situation is unique. Every couple is unique. But there are basic principles that if we follow those principles, we can have a winning marriage. We talked about two things, two major causes of marriage failure, unrealistic expectations and mutual misunderstanding. So if we can bring our expectations down, if we can lower our expectations into reality, and if we can clear up the misunderstanding, then we can build a winning marriage. Now the key, listen, the key is to practice what you've learned. All the sermons of the world, you listen to all the tapes, you read all the books, but unless you're willing to change and to grow, unless you're willing to apply the truths into your own life, then it's not going to do you any good. It will not work by osmosis. It will not work just by being present in this building. Your marriage will not be helped. You've got to act on what you've learned. You've got to stop repeating self-defeating attitudes and actions of the past and start doing things that will make a difference in your marriage. Here's the principle. If you keep on doing what you've been doing, you'll keep on getting what you've been getting. If you keep on acting the same way, if you keep on manifesting the same attitudes, then you're going to keep on getting what you've been getting. I listened to, to country singer Billy Dean and the one song that really had a, had a message and I listened to the whole tape and the whole tape is, most of it is about marriage and problems within, in marriage. But one of those songs says, I won't give up without a fight because there is nothing wrong that we can't right. I like that. I'm not going to give up on this marriage without a fight because there is nothing wrong that we can't write. Then he has a hit song, and the chorus of it goes, going to hold who needs holding, going to mend what needs mending, going to walk what needs walking, even though it takes an extra mile, going to pray what needs praying, going to say what needs saying, because we're only here for a little while. Now, I like that because what I'm saying in this series of sermons is marriage is worth it. And action is what gets results. We got to mend what needs mending. We got to say what needs saying. We got to do what needs doing. Because we're only here for a little while. If you expect marriage to be wonderful, you've got to begin to make it wonderful because marriage is a do it yourself kit. You get out of it what you put into it. It's not a box of goodies of all the things you've expected somebody to provide for you in life, but marriage is an empty box. You get out of it what you put into it. If you want love, you put love into that box. If you want companionship, you put companionship in. What you put in is what you get out. And country music has a way of telling it like it is. In fact, I heard, do you know what you get when you play country music backwards? You get your pickup truck back. Your dog comes back to life and your best friend brings your wife home. <laughs> well, you can make marriage work. 
and intimacy is the key. We've talked about close, and I've given this in every single sermon. We've used the acrostic C-L-O-S-E. The C stands for commitment. The L stands for listening. The O stands for openness, transparency. The S stands for sensitivity, meeting the needs of the other person. The E stands for empathy, walking in the other person's shoes. And when we talk about intimacy, we're talking about the, the tender merging of heart, mind, and soul by creating an environment of safety and trust where each person feels free to be himself and to express himself without fear of being put down or retaliation. It's the freedom to get emotionally close, knowing you'll not be put down or made fun of. And that's a goal that every marriage ought to have is to work to create that kind of atmosphere, to create an environment of safety and trust. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes work, but the dividends are well worth it. Now, remember, there are three choices. You can bail out, you can tough it out, and usually you end up being miserable, both of you, or you can work it out. So to have a win in marriage, biblically, we're talking about working it out. Divorce, remember about divorce, it is not a solution. It is simply another set of problems. Divorce is not a panacea. It is the opening of Pandora's box because all of the things that you didn't count on, divorce seems such an easy out. I read a survey the other day of recently divorced people that said 73% of the women and 60% of the men said they wished they had stayed in the marriage instead of getting a divorce and tried it a little longer and worked a little harder. Now, to those of you who've already been divorced, do not think that I'm putting you down. I'm not doing that at all. My heart goes out to you. You have my love, my acceptance. But I'm saying that God's ideal does not include divorce and that there is a downside of divorce that we do not mention often enough, especially where the children are concerned. Do you understand that with children, pediatrics, the people who work in pediatrics used to say that it takes a child three years to get over the parents divorcing. They have changed that completely. Now they say it takes a child 11 years. And that child will carry the scars all the way through adulthood. In other words, the child never gets over divorce. And you need to understand that when you consider divorce as an easy way out, as an option. The child never gets over divorce. And many times, divorce happens when the kids are teenagers, the most vulnerable, fragile times of their life, when they're going through adolescence. And so when teenagers go through divorce, when their parents divorce, then they have a greater tendency to be sick, to do drugs, to be promiscuous, to get in jail, all kind of problems that they are vulnerable to because of the breakup in that home. So out of the choices to bail out, to tough it out, or to work it out, the right choice is to work it out with God's help and to believe that there's not so much wrong, but that somehow with God's help that you can't make right and that you will actually grow through the adversity and come out of it strengthened with a deeper level of happiness that you've ever imagined without the scars from divorce. Now, I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's look at biblical principles. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and look at three biblical principles that God gives us concerning marriage. 
chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Now, that simply is talking about mutual unselfishness. That's a biblical principle for marriage. The more unselfish you are, the happier you're going to be. That's why you need Christ in a marriage, because only Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit can enable you to be unselfish, because we're all basically selfish. But a great marriage, intimacy in marriage is mutual need satisfaction. You meet each other's needs unselfishly. And you do that with the Lord's help. That's the first principle, mutual unselfishness. The second principle in verse 10 is lifetime commitment. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, this I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Now, what it's saying in in verses 10 through 13 is biblically the wife shouldn't leave her husband and the husband shouldn't leave his wife. That biblically the wife shouldn't divorce the husband and the husband shouldn't divorce the wife. Now, I understand the, the, the reasons for divorce, adultery, abuse, abandonment. And we're talking about extreme abuse. But we're talking about what, what is not God's ideal. God's ideal is a lifetime commitment. And when you go into marriage, go into it with the idea that this is to last for a lifetime and I'm committing myself for a lifetime. And then the third principle, the first one is mutual unselfishness. The second one is a lifetime commitment. The third one is inevitable trouble. Look in verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Amen and amen and amen. Is there a verse in all of God's Word that has more meaning to the average family than this verse? Those who marry will face many problems, many troubles. Remember, three rings in a marriage. Engagement ring, wedding ring, suffering. (laughs) That's a part of it. And so we understand that that when you have two people together, there are going to be problems. If two people always agree on everything, then one of them is unnecessary. So there's not anything wrong with conflict and with problems. It's the cost of closeness. It's the cost of intimacy. Now, those are the biblical principles, the foundation on which we base a winning marriage. Now, let me give you some practical hints if you want to have a winning marriage. Number one, hug yourself. I hope this is one of the keys that you've realized as we've gone through this series on marriage is that it's so important that you love and accept yourself just as you are. You have inner needs that no one else can meet. No one else can hug you long enough, warm enough, often enough 
to meet all of your needs. And see, many times we get caught up in this thing, we're chasing hugs, and we're going to find somebody who can hug me enough, long enough, often enough, warm enough, that these crying needs will be met. And what you're doing is, is you're crying out of your own insecurity, and you have deep inner needs that there is not a man on earth, there is not a woman on earth that can meet all of those needs. So the key to great marriage and the key to great relationship is that you first got to love yourself. Loving and accepting yourself as you are is the only hug that satisfies ultimately. You'd chase all the chill bumps, you'd chase all the hugs, but my friend, until you love and accept yourself, you're not going to ever find happiness and meaning. You're going to always be searching for it. The, the most... The, 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 the healthiest thing you can do is to love yourself and to hug yourself and to understand that you're responsible for your own happiness. There's not a man on earth, women, that can make you happy. There's not a woman on earth, men, that can make you happy. Nobody can make you happy. You are responsible for your own happiness. And you need God plus nothing to experience that happiness. And you have inner needs that only God can meet in your deepest life. And by expecting other people to meet them, you'll always come up on the short end, expecting what doesn't happen. So you can choose to either build yourself up or to beat yourself up. And a lot of people choose to beat themselves up, and so they're never happy. And they try one marriage or one relationship, and they're always searching for happiness, but they'll never find it until they first of all learn how to hug themselves, how to love and accept themselves how to treat themselves better. You'll never be able to love anybody else until you first love yourself. You'll never be able to treat your mate right until you learn to treat yourself right. If you treat yourself in a bad way, you'll treat your mate in a bad way also. So be good to yourself. Find ways every day that you can be good to yourself. Maybe get up an hour early in the morning and just do what you want to do. If you get up early enough, nobody will bother. You can do exactly what you want to do. Or somewhere in the middle of the day, just do something because you want to do it for yourself. And you know that, that you have all these expectations and everybody's pulling at you, and you just say, hey, wait a minute, stop, time out. I'm going to do something for me. I'm going to stop by the Sonic and get me a, a big drink or, or uh, uh, going to stop by the mall and buy me a cassette tape that's something that I want to... I'm just going to stop and do something for me because I'm special. It's amazing how, how much difference that'll make in your attitude when you do get to home or family or those expectations, when you have done something for yourself along the way. See, you've got to work on your own attitude. Nobody can work on it for you. And you've got to recognize that all you can do is all you can do and that you cannot be responsible for everybody else's happiness. You cannot meet all the needs that people expect you to meet. You can't supply all the answers. And understand that this too shall pass. When it seems like, it, you know, that everything is crowding in on you, this, you're going to make it through this. This too shall pass. And just kind of put a little humor in there. And remember this. If it'll be funny 10 years from now, go ahead and laugh now. It can be funny now. If one day you say, one day I'll look back on this and laugh, but well, go ahead and laugh now. Because if it can be funny then, it can be funny now. In other words, a good way to look at life is ask yourself the question, what difference will this make 10 years from now? This thing I'm in such a stew over, this thing I'm so worked up about, what difference will it make 10 years from now? Be good to yourself. Take a walk. 
do something for yourself and uh, kick the leaves and you'll be glad. Here's the truth. You can never have a great relationship with someone else until you have a great relationship with yourself. You got to hug yourself first. Loving someone else begins with loving yourself. Secondly, hug your mate. First, hug yourself. Secondly, hug your mate. The greatest craving within us is to be appreciated, to be loved. We need to be touched. We need to be held, especially women who have tremendous need to be held and to be touched. But researchers tell us that both men and women need 10 to 12 meaningful touches a day. So we've got to learn to touch one another and not just touch physically, as important as that is, but touch socially, touch emotionally, touch intellectually, touch spiritually. In other words, in every area of our lives, we are to touch one another on a daily basis. Hug yourself. Hug your mate. It's hard to overdo hugs. Almost impossible. Thirdly, honor your mate. We're talking about respect and value and trust. We're talking about cherishing. Remember the, the vows, love, honor, and cherish? So important. That's honoring your mate. You cherish your mate by doing things to make that person feel loved and appreciated and respected and special. Now remember, very important. When you cherish somebody, you do what they think is cherishing. <laughs> Many times we make the mistake, we cherish somebody like we want to be cherished, and that doesn't work. Remember, you're so totally different, and you speak a different language, and you have different temperaments and come from different backgrounds. So you can't cherish like you want to be cherished. For instance, if my wife comes home and says, you know, she, she's really wanting to cherish me, she says, guess what? I bought a new comforter for our bed and seven more pillows. <laughs> well, you know, if she's trying to cherish me that way, she is barking up the wrong tree. I mean, that's not going to work. I could care less about that comforter. I could care less about those pillows. Ninety-seven of them already. <laughs> or if she's going to fix a meal. And she's going to cherish me, so she fixes a meal, and she fixes celery salad. I hate celery. She loves it. I hate it. She's not cherishing me. Kish. She's not cherishing me. But now last night, we had a meal at our home, and uh, I know that she was cherishing me because we had grilled chicken, baked potato, salad, with light dressing and strawberry, fresh strawberries and shortcake. You know, the, with, now that's cherishing me. That's my kind of meal. <laughs> See, and so when she's going to cherish me, she's got to do it what I think is cherishing. If she comes to me and says, you know, she's feeling, I really want to do something special. She, you know, you've had a hard day at the office. I, let's just do something special. Let's go to the mall and shop a while. No. If she wants to cherish me, she'll say, let's get a Diet Coke and a stick of bar and watch a John Wayne movie. Now, that's living. See, you cherish according to the other person what they see as cherishing, and you've got to get to know each other and understand each other to know what that is. So you honor your mate. You're respecting them for who they are as they are, not trying to change them. 
I accept you just as you are, and I love you just as you are. Loving acceptance, loving understanding. And what you're doing, by building that love and that respect and that acceptance, you are validating that person, their worth, their value. You're validating their feelings. Everybody wants to, to express feelings and not be put down or laughed at or thought to be crazy because feelings are normal. And it's appropriate to have to express those feelings and to have those feelings validated by your mate. That's how you honor your mate. You validate their worth. You validate their feelings. So in a healthy, intimate relationship where the mate is honored, you can say, I feel free. I can be me. You can be you. We can be us. I can change and grow. You can change and grow. We can change and grow together. A healthy, intimate relationship. Fourthly, heal your mate. Now, this is very important. Lewis Smedes is a great writer. Talks about our, how fragile we are. He says the strongest and brightest of us are as fragile as a floating bubble and as unsteady as a newborn kitten on a freshly waxed kitchen floor. We're all fragile, like a floating bubble. We're all unsteady on our feet, like a kitten on a wax floor. And we need to understand that. You see, we have all been wounded, no exceptions to that. We have been wounded by our past, by our parents, by our peers. Now, our parents didn't mean to wound us. They were doing the best they could, perhaps, but they still wound us, just as we wound our children, doing the best we can. Because parenting is so difficult, and each child is so unique and different. And so we're wounded by our past, by our parents, by our peers. We're all wounded people. We've all been hurt. And we need to understand that so that in marriage we become wounded healers, reaching out to one another in love and acceptance. You see, everybody wants to find someone who understands and who cares enough to get below the surface in life and feel the hurt and respond with love and acceptance and validation. Remember the story of Lazarus? He was sick unto death, and his sister sent for Jesus and said, Come quickly, and Jesus didn't come quickly. He waited a couple of days to, to start in that direction, and it was four days before he got there, and by that time, Lazarus was dead and had been dead four days. But then Jesus, weeping with the family because he was, Jesus expressed feelings, expressed emotions. He was intimate. He cared deeply. And he felt their hurt, even though he knew he was about to, to raise Lazarus from the grave. And that's exactly what he did. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that grave. A dead man comes to life. It may also be that Jesus waited four days because he wanted to be sure that God got all the glory, that it was a true resurrection. And so Lazarus came out of that grave. But the interesting part of the story is that he came out, he had been resurrected, but he was bound in grave clothes, wrapped. And although Jesus brought him out of the grave, resurrected him, brought him from death to life, he did not unwrap him. And so here is a man who has life, but he cannot enjoy the life that he has because he's all wrapped up. He's bound. He is not free. He can't express himself. And then Jesus did not unwrap him, but he turned to his family and friends and said, you unwrap him. 
you unwrap it. In other words, there is a ministry that God has given to us in that we are to walk in other people's lives and we are to literally unwrap each other. That's what true communication and getting into intimacy below the superficial level, down to the level of hurt, emotions, feelings, fear, and really finding out who we are. And in that freedom, that safety and trust environment, we can open up and be ourselves, knowing that we won't be rejected or put down. We unwrap each other. That's holy ground when you walk into somebody else's life. It's holy ground when you're unwrapping somebody else because that person has to be vulnerable and risk being heard and rejected. But it's out of that unwrapping that life takes on a deeper meaning and we know the real joy of intimacy. Remember the story of Mary who broke the expensive vase of nard and poured out on Jesus. Here was a lady who risked public humiliation. She broke that vase. And she let her hair down, which no woman did publicly before a man, and used her ha hair as a towel as she ministered to Jesus. But the significance, as Ms. Ortland says in a, in a book, she says, we, we like to talk vase talk at the superficial level. We say, how are you? And how is your husband? Does he like his job? And mind, that's a beautiful ring you have. And where did you buy that outfit? We always talk at base level. We're not willing to break that base open and expose who we really are because we fear rejection and humiliation. But you see, it was only when the base was broken that the sweetness filled the room. What I'm saying in, in these series of sermons on intimacy is it's only when we are willing to be broken and spilled out in front of each other, vulnerable, transparent, it's only then do we really know the sweetness that God planned for marriage. And we'll never know it any other way. Unless we are willing to take the risk and to be vulnerable and to be broken, because then the interior and the exterior can mingle we're not just dealing with exteriors, but the interior of our lives, and a whole person can relate to another whole person. And that's what intimacy is all about. Heal your mate. We're all wounded healers. And then honest communication. You're going to have a win in marriage. You've got to learn to speak each other's language. And remember, we speak a foreign language. You've got to learn what that language is. You've got to learn to listen. That's the key to intimacy. That's the key to winning marriage. You've got to listen with empathy. You've got to listen with your eyes, listen with your ears, listen with your body, listen with intimacy, walking in their shoes, understanding where they're coming from. Becoming a top ear. There's not anything more important than learning how to listen and listening effect effectively. Listening love. Talking, affirming talk getting to know one another. Someone has said that we need one hour of meaningful conversation daily if we're to have an intimate marriage. The sixth thing, in having a winning marriage, handle your problems immediately. Now, we've already read in God's Word where every marriage will have trouble. We will have problems. 
So we need to learn problem-solving techniques. When the problems come up, no need to split, no need to run. Problems can be friends, not enemies. That tells us that we're alive and that we're two human beings who think independently. There will be conflict. So how can we work through these problems to strengthen us? And, we, and our goal is to have a win-win situation, not a win-lose. We're to learn to negotiate and to accommodate. Admire the difference we can make in our marriages if we could just learn how to work through our problems. No sensitive issues dealing with money and sex and kids and religion and in-laws, time management, all the things that come up in a marriage. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What's that saying? It's saying deal with your problems immediately. Work through them. Solve them. Grow because of them. And then seventhly, help your mate. Love is meeting the need of another person without expecting anything in return. Love is unconditional toward an imperfect person. We're all imperfect. But we're to be each other's helpers. Not just the wife to be the helpmate. We're to help each other. You're to help your husband become successful as a husband. Your goal ought to make him the most successful husband in town. Your goal ought to be to make your wife the most successful wife in town. And you're helping that person become successful, not only in just marriage, but in every area of life. And remember, feelings follow actions. You see, love is a decision. You decide to love. And when love begins to ebb and, and when, when it's not as, as strong as it ought to be, then you just start acting in loving ways until the feelings eventually follow. Love is something you choose to do. It's a command of God. God says to husbands, love your wife. That's a command. So that means it's something that you can choose to do. And then the feelings follow. Act in loving ways, and then the feelings will follow, even for an imperfect person. And then, eighthly, humor. Oh, in every marriage, there needs to be a whole lot of humor. I remember when, when Lee and I first got married, we had, you know, a few little tense days there every now and then and trying to adjust each other. And, and uh, you know, she's from over in Mississippi where I found her and cleaned her up and brought her out. And I was from, from uh, just kidding, honey. I, I was from Alabama. Uh, and uh, we different backgrounds. You know, she grew up as a Presbyterian, and I grew up as a Baptist, and, and uh, just, just, you know, so many different things. And we had to work through those things, and, and, and it would get tense. And she would look at me and say, you better say something funny in a hurry. Because she, she recognized and I recognized that only humor was going to relieve some of that tension or everything was going to blow up. And uh, also at that time, it's when, you know, I have all these jokes, but at a time like that, it's hard to even think of a joke. Uh, because, but you've got to work at bringing some humor into that situation. Let laughter be a part of your life. If you're going to have an intimate marriage, a winning marriage, you've got to learn to laugh together. Remember, a good laugh is equal to two tablespoons full of oat bran. And there are many who say we need 14 belly laughs a day to keep emotionally healthy. Learn to laugh at yourself. Laugh at your own mistakes, your own imperfections. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take life too seriously. But bring humor into that marriage. Well, those are just some helpful hints to having a winning marriage.
And let me close this series by saying I encourage you to have an affair with your mate. And that affair, the A standing for adventure, the F for fun, the next F for fantasy, the A for affection, the I for intimacy, the R for romance. Those are the things we've been talking about in building intimacy in relationship. So that what you think you can find out there, you can find in that own relationship if you're willing to pay the price. And the dividends are worth it. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 